0: the Anesthesia podcast. My name's Louise Savich and I'm an editor for Anesthesia. Uh, it's great to have you both here today to tell us about this paper. Thank you very much for giving us your time. Um, Eva, do you want to introduce yourself first?
1: Yes, um, hello everyone. My name is uh, Eva Rovtoft and I am an anesthetist in a non-university hospital in the north of Belgium, in Antwerp. Um, my specific interest in anesthesia used to be pediatrics. I still do it a lot. Um, but it changed let's say five to ten years ago uh, to obstetrics more and more Um, and in that degree that I am doing a PhD uh, on the subject uh, looking at an improvement in um, pain relief in labor and in cesarean section and uh, this last paper uh, was one of my studies um, where I was working on uh, with my PhD. Okay
0: thanks very much Mark.
2: Yeah I'm Mark van der Velde I'm um... Consultant anesthetist in the university hospital in Leuven, Belgium, um, where I was chair of the department until about two years ago, and I'm I'm, I'm uh, responsible for uh, training of our uh, trainees to become anesthetists uh, of of our university. My my passion is obstetric anesthesia and obstetric anesthesia research, and um, so I'm involved in this study uh, as in many others.
0: Okay, fantastic. Well, maybe to get. to get started. Could one of you just give us a rough sort of bit of background about where the gaps in the literature were that this study addresses? So what's the background to it and why did you feel this piece of work needed to be done?
1: Yes, so um, PIB has uh, already extensively been uh, looked at in in literature and um, studies have shown that if you compare it to continuous epidural infusions with or without PCA, PIB is definitely superior. So it gives less breakthrough pain, less motor block, um, a higher patient satisfaction. Um, but we also know that continuous epidural infusion can lead to motor block, especially in long labors. And we also know that bolus volume gives a better spread. So that's why we wanted to compare um, two bolus techniques, so PIEB to PCA alone without a background infusion, uh, and see if the superiority of PIB still stands. Um, study we compared it to a regular bolus volume of PCA, five mLs, and PIB compared to PCA alone, five mLs. PIB was definitely superior. Uh, now we wanted to do a study where PIB is compared to PCA, but in which PCA has the uh, same high volume bolus as the automatic bolus in PIB. So we wanted to compare ten mLs of bolus PCA to ten mLs of bolus uh, uh, automatic PIB. Okay.
0: And just for um anyone who's listening who hasn't maybe read the full paper, the PIEB, just to clarify, is a is a programmed intermittent bolus. So it's the there's no continuous infusion in the background, it just automatically delivers the bolus. And PCEA is a patient-controlled uh, bolus technique, again without any continuous infusion.
2: Yeah. And just yeah. to additionally clarify, in both groups, the patient could get patient controlled boluses. Also in PIB, they could get additional boluses, but the total volume per hour they maximally could get was similar and the same in both groups.
0: Okay, okay, great. Um, So Mark, what would you say the key findings from, from this study were? What did you find?
2: Yeah, so um, it was a non-inferiority trial with respect to breakthrough pain and we found non-inferiority of patient-controlled epidural analgesia uh, as opposed to PIAB. So if you give a high-volume bolus, you can achieve with PCEA, patient-controlled, you can achieve the same results in terms of pain relief as with uh, a PIAB. We even found superiority of um, the PCA technique with respect to local anesthetic consumption. There was, on average, for a total duration of labour, 15 milligrams less use of ropivacaine, and this stood. Uh, if you did an intent-to-treat or a per-protocol analysis, so uh, that that remained the same, all the other variables were similar between the groups, mm-hmm. except for the fact that in the PCEA group there was more interpatient variability than in the PIEB group.
0: And what would, what would you attribute that variability to in the in the PCA group, patient-controlled group?
1: Well, if you if you uh, take away the background infusion and you only get pain relief by pressing a button, you get a bit of um, waxing and waning sometimes of analgesia. So patients wait until they feel pressure. And after a couple of, uh, after some time, they really know what to expect um, when they feel the pressure coming, but they always get a bit of pressure and then they press the button for pain relief. So whereas in PIEB where you have these preemptive bolus because you have every hour an automatic bolus, you often do not have these uh, fl- these uh, fluctuation uh, in pain relief. Although in PCA, our um, pain scores were low and the same as in PIB, there was a little bit of fluctuation along the lower scores uh, because they mentioned one or two um, on, on some time basis um, because they, they waited to press the button uh, when uh, for pressure to come.
0: And and when you spoke to the women afterwards, uh, because you you, you looked at satisfaction scores immediately after delivery in 24 hours, did the patient controlled bolus group who had that slightly greater variability, albeit at the lower end of the pain scores, um, did they report lower satisfaction? Did that correlate to feeling less satisfied? Did it matter to patients?
1: Not at all. No. No. So okay. they were all very satisfied. We had the same satisfaction scores at one hour after delivery and at 24 hours after delivery, and they were very high. Mm. Um, it was not a difference. I think that women, they don't matter if they feel a little bit of pressure, if they know how to handle the PCA, which is a very important point mm. um, when you use a, a patient-controlled epidural analgesia that you explain to the women how it works, uh, and they do not have to wait too long before they... Press the button when pain comes through. Um, if you do that, um, they were all very satisfied. Okay. Uh, no pain scores uh, mimic that because we had very low pain scores in the PCA group um, oh. as well.
0: And do you think? I mean, it's, you mentioned this in your in your discussion that that the the, the patients who had patient controlled uh, boluses because someone was coming to review them every hour, they were part of a research team, everything's much more tightly controlled than you might have on an average, very busy labor ward unit. Um, How much impact do you think that might have? I mean, as in in real life, do you think you would see the same, uh, you'd see more variability and perhaps greater pain scores and less satisfaction?
2: Yeah, that that's a potential problem, man, eh, with the, with with this study design because yeah, you can't do you you have to check every hour that was in the protocol. But I think if you if if a patient is comfortable and pain free in the PIAB group, she would still get a bolus even when she's asleep. Mm. However, in the PCA group, when she's comfortable, she's sleeping, she's relaxed, nobody's disturbing her because the the labor is progressing normally. She might suddenly become awake when there is pain and she would run a little bit behind uh she has to press the button it will take 15 minutes before she will wow. be pain free again we are pretty sure she will be pain free again but she will at that point report slightly higher pain scores probably mm-hmm. so that is uh, so that, that is the, the 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 issue if if you would implement this high dose pca in real life practice, you might see this that in some patients, not in all, but in some patients, you might see suddenly much higher pain scores. Briefly, they will respond to the bolus, but they might be there. While here, we sort of prevented this by waking them up and they started to feel something. They pressed the button uh, and then everything was okay again.
0: There was one time point, I think, was it 240 minutes, so about four hours, where there was a, 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 a statistically significant not necessarily clinically significant difference in in pain scores and most most of the variability in in pain scores does seem to have come beyond the 2 hour point what do you think accounts for that why would there be more variability at, at, you know as as the epidural, as the labor progresses than at the beginning
1: well in the beginning they all both groups were started with the cse um initiation uh-huh. so Usually for 90 minutes more or less, you don't have pain. Mm. Uh, and then patients or start to press or the PIB is already um, going on. Uh, and then of course labor progresses. And then you will see that, well, um, when 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 um, labor progresses, that uh, the pain will also alter and that they need to press more. Yeah. Um, So, but we still had only one point, although the average of labor was more or less six to seven hours, if I recall correctly, we only had one uh, point at 240 minutes, which Mm. was clinically clinically significant um, Mm difference. Whereas in the other hours, five hours, six hours, it was not the case. So, and as you mentioned, well, it was statistically significant, but was it clinically relevant? I don't really think so because the score was still two or something. Yeah, it's very it's still cool. very low.
2: Yeah, and, and I think it really coincides with the spinal component wearing off. Yeah, I think that's probably the 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 most important reason. Um, and in the PCA group, they are again lagging a little bit behind, but the spinal component is wearing off, and they have to press the button. And mm. it's it's 120, 150, 180 minutes here. It seems that. Mm. The spinal dose worked a little bit longer than, 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 yeah, but this also might. Be due to the fact that you take uh, a select group of patients instead of the normal clinical mix of multiparas, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
0: So it's a combination, really, then of the that that variability later on is both just the intensity of labour increasing and the spinal wearing off. So it, it sounds as if there's a learning curve for the for the patient control group, then that they're comfortable for a period of time and then they do they need to what you're seeing in those first you know from around the four hour mark onwards is a is a sort of steep learning curve perhaps yeah. uh, so, so then in units which don't routinely cite a CSE but just put an epidural in and load that up might you expect to see greater variability uh from the onset of of the epidural go do you think that that learning curve will be moved
1: no i think it's it's the same i think maybe you will have a shift uh, from time points uh, mm-hmm. but the learning curve is still like for me um remains the same Pe- women needs to know or need to learn which pressure is is um well which uh, was it, which remember.
2: sensation yeah. of that predicts now I'm going yeah. to move on to pain instead yeah. of feeling yeah. something yeah and they are pain free with the initial epidural do- bolus dose yeah. For a period of time, and then it will reappear. Yeah. In the PIB, it will not reappear because the pump gives something. Yeah. In the uh, PCA group, there will be a moment or two that they will, uh, this is what it's going to feel like. I have to press.
0: Yeah. But as you say, all the pain scores stay very low. Although there's greater variability, the pain scores are all you know. There are slightly wider confidence intervals, but they're still all around the you know VAS score of twenty, which you know, which is which uh, arguably is is you know for most women going to keep them keep them comfortable. So for for a jobbing obstetric anesthetist working in a a unit somewhere, would you say to them the take home message is we should be providing patient controls, epidural boluses, or programmed? infusion, bolusing?
1: Well, we still feel, I think I can speak for myself and for Mark, that PIB is an excellent maintenance technique. We both use it in our hospitals as a standard technique. Um, the message we want to give is, well, if you have women who want to be actively involved in labor, um, then PCA alone with a high volume bolus, because we have shown that a low volume or a standard volume is not enough. You need to have a high volume and so a low concentrated solution. Um, that's my that might be an option uh, in the, in that small or maybe I in that um, um, subset of patients. Uh, but I, I well, we both think that PIB is an excellent way. It gives a very good pain relief. It gives none or very low motor block. It gives a very high patient satisfaction rates. Um, but we just want to show that if you use PCA, you should use it with high volume boluses and not low, uh, because the spread is what you need. Uh, with PIB or with PCA. Um, so, and that's the, that's the message we want to give. We think that it might have a place for a subset of patients, but for the majority, we think that PIB uh, is uh, is excellent.
0: And do you see any limitations to the p p the program's intermittent epidural bolusing? Are there any potential risks associated with that that weren't picked up in
1: this this study? Yeah, we have seen a couple of case reports in the literature already um, looking at um, um, wrongly placed catheters which weren't uh, cited at first, that they were uh, spinally placed, for example. Uh, And then if you you have an automatic bolus every hour, you can end up with a total spinal. If you don't see the alarm signs Mm -hmm. Rising up because they will appear, but you need to 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 um, to see them. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever in PCEA, where your patient really controls the button herself mm-hmm. without automatic bolus, you will um, not see that problem um, that much. Not that you see it in PIB that often; uh, it's, it's very limited, I think. But I'm not sure that these safety issues are already well no. uh, known in the literature uh, for now.
2: Uh, and I mean, I, if if for instance your catheter is is in, intrathecally, um, one PIB bolus will not result in a total spinal. It will result in a high block, mm-hmm. but it will also result in a motor block. And if the motor block is present, um, then there should be an alarm sign for midwives uh, to alert the physician to come and check the patient. I think these these guidelines were actually published in Anesthesia on on high blocks and what to do with high blocks in in laboring patients and epidurals in laboring patients. And the key role for motor block evaluation is extremely important. Mm. So it is with PIAB. I mean, 12 milligrams of ropificane, as we were using with PIAB, will not result in a total spinal. It will result in a high block, perhaps some hypotension, and a motor block. Um, and that is something that needs to be picked up. So if, if anybody introduces PIB in their clinical practice, they should instruct very clearly to the midwifery staff to mm-hmm. evaluate and, and follow this up. Mm-hmm. The same, by the way, with PCEA. If if this 10 milliliter bolus would be injected intrathecally, you would see the same result. Mm-hmm. Of, mm-hmm. um, But here, if it isn't picked up, uh, with PIB the patient will get a second dose and that might result in a high or total spinal while with the PCEA she will be completely pain free yeah, will push not the push the bottom. It. yeah uh, so so that i think that's an important thing it the, it it's it will be a very rare thing but certainly we need more evaluations and studies to see how frequently it might occur mm-hmm. it hasn't been reported that often
0: mm-hmm. but it
2: it can
0: happen. Yeah. yeah. And the risk with both, of course, is the same as with any epidural, that if you top it up for theatre, I mean, you, you know, that, that risk exists equally across both groups. So there's no there's no benefit in either group. So um, if well, just thinking in the UK, there's certainly uh, and elsewhere, there's been moves to um, reduce the use or or abandon the use of nitrous oxide. and the corollary of that seems to be an inevitable rise in the in the increase in the number of epidurals that are used. Do you think either that these techniques um, are equally suitable, or do you, or are you really saying that if it's patient controlled epidural bolus, you're more likely to need more input from a midwife? So possibly, you know, as it as epidural usage increases, um, will our midwives be stretched too thin, perhaps? Or do you see that as a potential problem?
1: You mean with the PCA alone uh, modality, yeah? Mm. Uh, because PCA with background infusion has been. Oh no, used. sorry. I
0: mean, I mean, yeah, without a background infusion. Uh,
1: no, but I think that the same learning curve uh, maintains. Although I think that midwives come in at least one hour, uh, one once every hour um, to check the patients, uh, especially after you place an epidural. You have a closely monitor um, for a certain time of period, and then at least in my hospitals, they come in on a regular base. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have these patients, if they, if you have a patient who comes in in the evening uh, because she's induced, well, they usually sleep a bit in the night. And if you then give a PCA alone, mm. then you might get into trouble because these patients do not press buttons, they fall asleep. And then what Mark already mentioned, they wake up because of pain. Yeah. Uh, so making those patients, it is not ideal, but in a subset of patients, um, who really sometimes are a little bit afraid of of epidurals because they fear of side effects and they they really want to manage their epidural their own they want to control their analgesia to their needs and not feel nothing which sometimes is the case in a PIB especially in the in the first uh, period of labour uh, well in those patients this PCA might have a place and I think that after this learning curve they. As we already mentioned they really know when to press because they know what to expect how long they can stand this pressure because before it becoming uncomfortable and mm-hmm. then they know ah now i'm feeling this i'm now i'm going to press and I, I i keep comfortable yeah um, so i don't really think that there is a huge increasing workload of the midwives i really don't no. think okay. uh, not in be and not in pca alone
2: and, and I mean, it, in our hospitals, the epidural rate in Belgium is very high. It's yeah. more than 80%. Uh, uh, and, more and, than 80%. I mean, more yeah. than 80% and I might, your hospital might even be higher. <laughs> um, and, and, and our midwifery staff is certainly not more than in the UK. I think we have one midwife per two rooms, two patients. <laughs> um, so they are not constantly with them, but they check them every hour yeah. and uh, it, and I, it also depends on whether this patient requests an early epidural when labor is not really advanced, um, versus somebody who requests it at six, seven centimeters, um, and where. And then I think in, in that last group of patients, uh, for me, PIB is even more ideal because you only have two to three hours usually of labor before they deliver. Two or three boluses of PIAB, the patient doesn't have to bother. They're quite comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, while in early labor, you might get 10 or 12 PIB boluses before you deliver, and then PCA might be more suited. But again, it's patient choice, I think. What, yeah. what I would do is offer both modalities and let the patient choose. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. And then just the last question. I think that's probably all we're going to have time for. But if you uh, – well – Not if you would do the study again, but what would be the next piece of work? What do you see as the next study following this?
1: Well, we already mentioned it as a a little bit of a a small flaw in the study because of the um, involvement of study personnel every hour, we might influence the results. So, if you really want to see um, how those two compare to each other, we need to do a clinical practice study. So, a real world study where you um, compare these studies. Next to each other, without every hour monitoring the patients, just monitor the uh, if there is breakthrough pain and monitor patient satisfaction, mm-hmm. um, but not on an on an hourly uh, basis, uh, mm-hmm. and just keep the patients as they are, and then you will see the the um, the actual um, uh, well, actually, what, what study personnel involvement really um, does. Uh, yeah, yeah. To balance these, uh, the results of the study. Hmm. So this is my, something we might do, but then we need a lot of patience um, and a lot of time. Hmm. Uh, but It would be a very nice study to really it would ask. be.
0: It would be fantastic. Yeah, a, a real world example of, of what you've shown. Fantastic. Okay.
2: Sorry. No, I just wanted to add, and I think we, with outside the scope of this study, but looking at PIB, we should look for complications in in a sort of registry of everybody's using PIB. How many high blocks do we see? How many mm. issues with cancers do we see? I think that's also important, and that's that needs to be a big registry with with the thousands of patients involved. I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that I agree. That would be very useful. That's a big piece of work, though. Yeah. Just just the right people for the job. (laughs) Okay, thank you so much. I think we'll have to end there, but thank you very much for your time. It's a great study, and I'm sure everyone will be uh, reading it avidly any moment now. Okay, thank thank you you so much. Thank Um, you. The Anesthesia Podcast.